witches. Thank you for joining us on our Modern Witches podcast. This series is a space for musings on the diverse pathways of witchcraft, intuitive inspiration, and spiritual activism. We cannot wait to revel in what is bubbling away in our cauldron of collective magic. I am your podcast host, Casey Zabala, creatrix and gatherer of Modern Witches. My hope is that our community fosters a greater depth of understanding of witches everywhere so that we may cultivate hope for the future of humanity, a humanity that honors and upholds magic as a sacred thread that illuminates our connectivity. This season of the podcast, our focus is on magic. What is it and how does it make itself known? Be sure to subscribe. And if you'd like to get more intimate with modern witches, check out our Patreon. Join us at the familiar level for secret discounts or at the coven level to access our live monthly coven circles. Your patronage goes directly to funding the work of our integral justice and liberation committee who supports our mission of being anti-racist, anti-fascist, and truly inclusive for all. Learn more at modernwitches.org. Hello and welcome to the Modern Witches YouTube and podcast. I am so excited to be here with Jessica Hundley today, the editor of the Library of Esoterica series. And we're just going to get dive right into it and talk about magic and being a working witch in the world. So thank you for being here, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I would love it if you could introduce yourself for our audience. I am Jessica. I am a uh, writer, director, creative director, dreamer, connector. <laughs> um, my background is writing and journalism, culture and music and film journalism. And uh, I have now uh, been overseeing this series. I have the great honor of overseeing the Library of Esoterica, um, Encyclopedia visual encyclopedia of esoteric traditions. Um, I'm, I brought the project to the publisher, Tashin, but it's definitely not just me. I'm, I'm sort of the guide, but there are amazing people working on these books and uh, the community keeps growing and it's just super exciting. So yeah, and I'm excited to kind of spread the word about the books, particularly because by spreading the word about the books, I'm spreading the word about these amazing artists and practitioners and, you know, growing the community of witches around the world. So it's mm. kind of the, the mission. <laughs> I love it. Yes, I have my witchcraft book yes. here with me. Uh-huh, which you have your beautiful words in. Oh, yes. <laughs> and I'm, I mean, this is just all of the books are just such a wealth of information. I think, you know, as I was a young witch and like seeking out any information I could mm -hmm. find and use bookstores. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you get bits and pieces and um, these anthologies are really just such an amazing resource and you've brought together so many great voices. So just really appreciating what you've done for the community. It's great. Well, thank you. Like I said, it's not just me. It's the designer who's a dear friend that I brought on Thunderwing Studio. Nick Taylor is his name. And he and I kind of conceptualized how we wanted to present these because like you, as a young witch, um, there was information out there and books. And I mean, of course, incredible tarot decks and incredible, you know, this incredible history 
of writers and artists, but I never sort of found a way in that felt sort of light and inclusive and introductory and gentle. And um, I, it always kind of felt a little hidden and dark and, and just overall, I never related to the aesthetic. Um, mm -hmm. I really like, I wanted something that felt beautiful and in a way, nodding to, to the history and the legacy, but also feeling a little forward thinking and um, modern. Mm -hmm. um, and that was kind of, the mission was to create, you know, there's this amazing Time Life series that came out in the seventies that were these kind of slim encyclopedias about like UFOs and, uh, you know, ghosts. And I loved that series growing up. Um, and I wanted to kind of give, create something like that, but in, in a very Toshin way. Toshin is an incredible global art book publisher that has just in, you know, beautiful, beautiful books. They're beautifully printed, they're thoughtful. Um, and I had been working with them on other books um, from my, the first book I did with them was with the actor and director and artist, Dennis Hopper. When he was still with us, I did a book of his photography. That was the first book I did with them. And my background as a journalist working with culture journalism, I wrote a lot about sort of psychedelia and counterculture. And so I'd worked on the Dennis Hopper book, a Bob Dylan book, um, a John Lennon Yoko Ono book. And so I had sort of a foundation with the publisher um, and some trust. And so I brought this idea to them and um, you know they said yes and they really have allowed me to kind of build it in my own way and um, I just feel so I'm so grateful for for them for trusting me and trusting Nick um, with the design and you know really we really just want we want to we have a kind of mission statement in the back that's the same it's in every book it's called for the seekers and it's just an invitation. These books are kind of the first key to unlock the door, but there's so much to kind of learn and delve into. And so it's this kind of encouragement to go out and 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 find what what feel you feel most connected to in these traditions. And we always include a really like extensive bibliography and resources. That's not just books, but websites and podcasts. Um, so people can kind of go in and reference because we have so much incredible information at our fingertips with the internet, but we don't have curation, you know, it's right. hard to find your way through the labyrinth. Totally. So, so we're kind of trying to light, you know, the torch so you can start, you know, exploring. So, and a well-curated bibliography is like my favorite thing as a nerd <laughs> um and this is an excellent one so it's it's such a great place for people um to really dig in and begin like you said yeah yeah, yeah. and we you know i i approach these books very journalistically um you know and i try not to get too mired in dogma and not too um academic either so they're 
they're presented in a very introductory way. They're not, you know, I don't pretend to be an expert on any of these subjects. It's kind of more about introducing the first step, the first layer, the uh, an overview of the history presented in a way that feels, you know, entertaining and interesting and I hope poetic on some level. And then throughout the books, we have these pull quotes from practitioners of which you were one for the witchcraft book. So, so we're kind of letting people who do have experience and, and do have sort of deeper knowledge kind of express themselves as well. And then you can look them up and dig into their work. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we have a key that, that Nick made um, that's our logo, and it's if you it looks like a key, but it's actually T L O E. Um, Maybe I can uh, show folks. Yeah, so it's the L, the Library of Exoterica. It's all our letters as a key, and yeah. to me, he came up with that, you know, kind of um, right when we were conceptualizing the project. And to me, that is that's exactly what these books are: is they're the key to unlock the door. Um, and then, you know, you put the key in your pocket and you go in and explore, you know, so. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I'm wondering what your kind of key or entryway into this world of witchcraft or spirituality was. You know, I grew up in, in Massachusetts, so which is a very uh, haunted, mysterious uh, place. I grew up in the woods um in western massachusetts in the berkshires um i lived in really you know the middle of nowhere and spent a lot of time um alone exploring the woods and communing with nature and i would say that that you know experience as a child um i was an only child until i was nine um so i really kind of spent a lot of time by myself you know, I had a little fort in the woods. I grew up in the 70s. My parents were hippies. I, you know, I wandered off and, you know, for hours and they didn't know where I was, but I was fine. I was with, you know, the trees and the flowers. And um, I was also a, a Girl Scout and, and I knew how to camp and take care of myself. And I knew the names of all the trees. So that connection to nature, I think was my first kind of um, connection to what I, you know, my, my background, my ancestral background is Irish and British and Northern European. So this kind of pagan druidic kind of roots to, mm -hmm. to nature and to trees particularly. Yeah. Um, and then as I became older, you know, I, I always loved music and I got, I was a metalhead, punk, goth. So really also through music, through heavy metal, through like Black Sabbath and Bauhaus and Susie Sue and like exploring these ideas through music and these kind of uh, concepts through music, Kate Bush, of course, and, um, and I, I was lucky enough to live near a college town, Northampton, Massachusetts. And there was an amazing record store there that also had tarot decks and just books. And um, I got my first tarot deck, which was, you know, Rider Waite Smith deck when I was probably about 10 and started to really um, 
explore tarot at that age and and sort of has I've always had tarot as part of my um, creative practice and um, you know so the the first book of the series is tarot and mm-hmm. that was you know the perfect place to start because tarot is a visual language is these books are art books first they're a celebration of the way we express these practices visually um so it was the perfect sort of like foundation for the whole series because it's an it's all iconography mm-hmm. and this language you know that goes beyond words um yeah. but it really it felt like the right place to start um for me because that sort of was my core uh key in totally nice that I mean I think that's um it's such a beautiful kind of stepping stone from nature Mm -hmm. and that interconnection you sensed in the woods to tarot because um you know tarot is such a connecting principle it makes you realize how connected everything is and yes um there's such power in seeing kind of how nature and the magic of nature also exists in the material worlds or yes and in ourselves in ourselves you know i mean the the i I, as i was saying before that we start got on you know i i read um for people the first time this since covid in person this weekend reading tarot and 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 kind of introducing it to a lot of the people i read for had never had a reading before um and just this idea that this human journey, the the major arcana cards being representative of these archetypes that exist within us, and the fact that these archetypes were the same, you know, you know, almost 800 years ago, at least when tarot first evolved, like that these archetypes are the same, that we're the same, we touch on these same archetypes inside of us, you know, that they exist um and and tarot is such a beautiful way to kind of immediately tap into your own self-knowing and your own intuition mm-hmm. um and i just it's always sort of magical to see that happen you know every time i read i you know i can i made everybody you know all these kind of uh people who had never had their tarot read a lot of them kind of corporate business powerhouse people and uh you know, it was in the South. So a lot of people who'd come out of Christian religions who had never mm-hmm. who'd kind of been a little bit told not to, you know, read tarot right. to see them respond. And every one of them teared up at some point, which was so beautiful to see. It was yeah. just, it was, and, you know, and I was like, this is a way for, you know, you to, to tap into your own knowledge about things you read what you already know into the cards really right it's just just a way to find that deep center in in such an immediate way you know totally it's such an empowering tool yeah yeah which is why it's been you know hidden and sublimated as all of these things because exactly the man doesn't want you to be self-empowered so Mm -hmm. um so true and, you know, my sort of punk DIY roots are all about like, you know, giving people the key to unlock, you know, their own power. And that's really also, I mean, I, I, I the underlying, you know, sort of idea too with these books is this, that they are a radical revolutionary act to, to, you know, explore these practices and discover your own power, you know. 
So true. And it's, it's really encouraging to see this kind of surge of enthusiasm for these practices and these tools. Um, And I, I do, I do think there's, we're kind of in this interesting time where, um, you know, capitalism is trying to commodify witchcraft Mm -hmm. and tarot and all these things. Um, But I don't think they'll be able to ultimately. (laughs) No, it's too, it's too big and fluid and um, you know, it's never going to be able to be boxed. These, these are ideas. This is like, it's so individualized too. It's how you, every person has their own practice. That's a, it's, it doesn't have the rigidity of traditional religions in that way. It's a patchwork it's a, your own interpretation, your own framework. And, and of course, you know, some of it does borrow from concepts from traditional religions and they can live side by side. You can be a practicing Buddhist and still practice these things. And you can be a Catholic and still have these practices woven into your spirituality, you know? So totally. it's, it's, it can't be contained because it's, it is so much about each person having their own experience with it, mm-hmm. um, which is what is so you know incredible and beautiful about it to me. Yeah, definitely. There's something very like tapping into an ancient mm-hmm. or like primal part of ourselves that mm-hmm. just knows that we're powerful and that we have agency and authority mm-hmm. over ourselves. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is very important to remember these days. It is. And there's so many amazing guides, you know, and that's what we also try to highlight is, is all these people from the past that were pointing the way for us. And, and, uh, you know, I think we kind of go through cycles with these practices. And, you know, the late 1800s, early 1900s, there was a big surge of, you know, the Golden Dawn, the, you know, Pamela Coleman Smith, Mm -hmm. Lady Frida Harris, all these people who are creating work around these ideas. Um, And then in the 60s, of course, and, and the um, sort of uh, connection to, you know, the new book is Plant Magic, which is coming out in a few weeks, and the connection that we have with nature and with, you know, plant medicine and this sort of renewed interest in psychedelics and and self-exploration through communion with plants um, is something that is, again, we're coming all, all of it's kind of coming back. Um, mm-hmm. and, and not just, the book is not just about, you know, psychedelic exploration, it's about, you know, plants as symbols and the way we use them, you know, with, you know, the pomegranate, the apple, um, plants in myth, plants in the way that we use them in ceremony, like weddings and funerals and what they represent, how we interact um, with plants. And then herbalism, of course, um, and plants as medicine, as body medicine um, and teachers, you know, and all of that's coming back. And it's all to me intertwined with everything else. It's there are all these incredible tools. And so, um, that's why it's been so such an honor to kind of guide this series into life. And we just uh, signed with Tasha to do at least three more. So I'm really great. We're starting tomorrow on sacred sites, which is the next (gasps) one. Lovely. Pyramids and vortexes and utopias and churches and 
uh, fantasy worlds and artist spaces, places mm -hmm. that architectures that contain energy and spaces that contain energy and sort of um, help you promote all of this stuff. The dome, oh. of course. So yes. Mr. Fuller. Um, right. So yeah. Yeah. Gorgeous. That's so exciting. I'm very excited for plant magic as well. Thank you. I, yes. I, I like to think it might be the best one yet, just because we had such a, um, you know, each, each book is, is very, uh, it's defined by the practice in terms of the visuals. So mm -hmm. with plants, it was like, you know, it's just this joyous celebration of nature of artists that like, you know, everyone from like, we have like a Rembrandt with uh, Joyce Lee, who's this amazing like Instagram illustrator out of South Korea who does these incredible like sexualized fantasy illustrations, you know, mm. the cover is a beautiful um, kind of not well known uh, Salvador Dali, it's called Meditative Rose and it's this beautiful rose hovering in the sky like mm. oh, in this landscape, you know, there's just so much incredible art. Um, about plants and trees and fungi and cactus and um so so it was really it was really fun to be able to do this one you know mm. it, was, it felt very free yeah that way lush, you know sounds like yeah. yeah yeah it's it's interesting because as you're talking i'm just getting this real sense of how um there's kind of this core theme of enchantment mm -hmm. or re-enchantment here mm -hmm. with these books and you know how important it is to kind of point people towards um their own magic and how they can discover magic in their lives and i'm curious you know what magic means for you what that word means for you i mean to me creativity is magic creativity created you know i i you know, I've been doing these kind of talks with the books about called Art as a Spell, which is basically like art is, you know, creativity is this alchemical act. You're taking an idea and manifesting it into physical form. And mm -hmm. I just get so excited by that, like, you know, that people can share and engage their amazing imaginative individual visions with the world in so many different ways now whether it's dance or writing or just speaking publicly speaking or painting um i think creativity is sort of everyone has it it's inside of everyone and exploring that is in whatever way it manifests and being sure to nurture and protect that, that mm -hmm. is the magic that we all have inside of us. We're all magicians, we're all wizards, um, we're all alchemists. So that to me, creativity that is an imagination is, mm -hmm. is what magic is to me. I love that. It's so true. Yes, <laughs> yes, creativity. And it's you've had such a creative career. Um, and have worked in so many different, with so many different types of people and creatives. And I'm wondering if, you know, there's a way in which sort of like your spiritual orientation or the way you practice your craft has informed your work outside of maybe the obvious 
Library of Esoterica. Um, yeah, I mean, I am so fortunate to have been a working journalist um, from an early, you know, since I had a zine that I did when I was in college that then became writing for magazines and editing for magazines, culture magazines, um, you know, and then I also started to work in film and directed music videos and documentaries. And, um, you know, to me, it's all storytelling. So that's sort of what creativity is, is storytelling in whatever way that kind of manifests. Um, mm -hmm. And it's slowly evolved. You know, I, I work um, as a creative director, meaning I kind of oversee other artists kind of creative visions. Um, and I had the amazing opportunity to work as a creative director. I still work as a creative director for John Legend. And I was brought in last year to help conceptualize his tour. He had a, his first tour after COVID. Nice. Um, and it was called Bigger Love. And we built this crazy world that was kind of this botanical, utopian, futuristic disco. So I, I conceptualized all of his tour visuals, the colors, like what was happening behind the stage, the staging itself. And that was, and, and, you know, he, he's been so wonderful and, you know, my crazy, you know, Xanadu, James Terrell <laughs> uh, vision. Um, and it's, uh, of course, again, not just me he has an amazing uh, internal team, incredible creative director in house, who's just a genius. And he trusts us. And it was really, you know, I took my husband and I went to the show at the Greek theater, which was such a beautiful an amphitheater. It was all amphitheaters too, which was amazing. Oh, cool. They're all outdoor shows in these wow amphitheater spaces so we really wanted to kind of play into that and and uh it was so beautiful to kind of share this vision in such a you know John is is a is a huge pop star it's like it's not you know fringe music in any way right. it's it's very mainstream um it's beautiful he's he's his roots are in the church and and it's very spiritual experience he's an incredible live performer and just to to kind of present this crazy world to a very mainstream audience in a lot of ways and have them respond in the way they did and feel connected that was like such a wonderful thing and he has a tour he has a residency in vegas now that i helped to oh, cool. to creative direct as well which is um also all about love he's all about love you know so spreading that in that way in that sort of bigger way and we are you know, now manifesting these kind of live experiences with Library of Esoterica at festivals. Mm -hmm. We just did our first one at Format Festival in Arkansas, where I'm working with an incredible artist, Darren Romanelli, who's a designer and just curator and also a crazy wizard. And he <laughs> he's making all this incredible furniture. So we had these beautiful patchwork, crazy quilted bean bags inside of a Buckminster Fuller dome with all these visuals and meditations and you know we played like this crazy you know 10 minute terence mckenna talk with all these images of plants and while people just 
laid there <laughs> having their minds blown hopefully um, that sounds great <laughs> and there's lots brewing as far as like hopefully you know television and kind of it's spreading these ideas in a in a really um a larger way and and an access super accessible way not just with live experiences but hopefully with you know sort of more documentary stuff mm -hmm. and yeah so so exciting yeah so I, I'm very fortunate, but also I will say it's been a lot of hard work to get here. It's not easy to be a creative in this world if you don't, you know, have a foundation of, you know, a, a, a trust fund or family that's supporting you, which, you know, my family's wonderful, but I didn't have any yeah. <laughs> financial support from them. And, and it took a long time and I had to really, you know, live hand to mouth for many, many years, you know, I, mm -hmm. I think, I think it's important to say that it's not, you know, it, it takes a lot of hard work to be able to do um, your art and just your art in this yeah. world, especially in America, and especially in this capitalist system. Um, and especially at a time where, you know, it was, it wasn't that easy to kind of, there wasn't Instagram, there wasn't, right, the communities were um you know all offline essentially you had to find your tribe and find your audience and um and i think now it's it's definitely a lot easier to reach a lot of people without the help of a corporation or a broadcasting company or whatever behind you um but it's still hard you know so i always kind of want to make sure to say that because um you know, it's it, it, if you're someone that comes from, you know, a small town like I did without, you know, any kind of support, it's difficult, but it's it's such a joy to like just keep pushing through, you know. And yeah. I worked as a nanny and a waitress for many, many years in addition to writing for magazines and doing all the other stuff I've worked every shitty job. <laughs> I've worked on farms picking strawberries. I've worked, you know, in many restaurants. I've, and all of that though is, is like, you know, a, was really, uh, it's important to have, especially service industry. It's such a important thing to, to really understand and respect the people that are working in those industries because, um, you know, what a beautiful thing they're bringing to us, whether oh, it's yes. food or, you know, a great coffee or whatever. You exactly. Know. Yeah. 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 It's like these, I feel like for a long time, they've been called like side hustles, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. but at the same time, they're, you know, those jobs that really bring nourishment to other mm -hmm. people, to your own life in whatever way um, that really get you to where you want to be. Yeah. So they are yeah. really important fellow odd job queen over here. So uh -huh. resonates. <laughs> yeah. You kind of have to have to do all the things to make it work. And yeah, of course. And to stick to your convictions around your art, you know, that's, it's, yes. it can be really challenging, but remembering your vision and always coming back to, yeah. to that vision is yeah. really integral. Well, and I think you, you know, really kind of, like I was saying before, protecting your creativity mm -hmm. and making sure that you're making time for it, which is not easy in this world. If you have a job or children or a fan, you know, it's like, 
it's very hard to make that time. Um, and the, the, the thing is, is I would have been writing in my journal or on, on, you know, writing my poems and my stories. And I would have been writing no matter what, because it's something that nourishes me so deeply. Um, I would have been making art and being creative, even if I was, you know, having to, you know, work 24 hours a day, I would have found a day, a time to do it. But I also was really sort of adamant that I, you know, I, I wasn't going to get um, caught in something that felt too locked in and corporate. And I did say no to things that would have been money um, and infrastructure and foundation. And, and, and I said no to them because I knew it would also mean sacrificing time that I wanted to put into my own work. And it, it, uh, you know, really, I, I really, I said no to some big things because of, of that, but I would yeah. have been miserable. I knew I would have been right. miserable, you know, so. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just talking to a friend about this recently. Those, those kind of opportunities that come up that, you know, have a, like a, a juicy price tag on them. You think you're mm -hmm. going to like make a lot of money, but mm -hmm. ultimately it doesn't feel good. Like there's this grinding sense mm -hmm. that it's like not really in your integrity or mm -hmm. um, it's not going to allow you to grow or be true to yourself. And yeah. it's always kind of like a little bit of a test. It feels like to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course. I have been literally my entire life freelance. I've never worked in an office. I've, I, 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 you know, I'm a creative director. I work on a lot of amazing jobs for advertising and I'm in those spaces and, but I'm always freelance. I never, <laughs> and I mean, you know, I, with Tashin, we're a freelance, we're sort of a freelance division. I'm, I'm, I don't work for Tashin. I'm, I'm working with Tashin, I like to say. Yeah. Um, and I just know that the sort of day-to-day -day of an office job was never going to be for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was funny when, you know, when, when COVID happened, you know, I think a lot of people had that realization and a lot of people realized that they didn't necessarily have to be in an office. And I think it set a lot of people free. And also I think within the entertainment and advertising and all these kind of big industries that are creative industries, it kind of set, set those people free to kind of, you know, not have to be in a conference room not have to be, you know, um, because there's no reason in this day and age for them to be, I mean, every, right. you know, um, and I mean, and, and I, I remember thinking like, yeah, this is what I've been doing my whole life. Yeah. You know, like this is no, I've been a freelance pirate since the get go. So now everybody's like, you know, I think a lot of people had that realization, like, what am I doing sitting in this mm -hmm. office, you know? And I don't think it'll ever go back. Uh, I mean, and I do, I love being in those rooms. It is important to all be together when you're first conceptualizing something and getting that energy and brainstorming. And I, I love meeting with the, with the um, you know, it's when I meet in person with John's team, it's just so wonderful because there's so many you know, creative minds in that room. Mm -hmm. And so at the beginning of, a, of something, it's really, I think it is really important to be in real life with people. Um, but, you know, logistics and production, all that stuff. Yeah. You don't yeah. need to be, you don't need to be 
talking it out in the conference room. <laughs> totally. And I feel like there's like these micro moments of creative freedom in your day mm -hmm. when you're kind of not restricted by mm -hmm. space and environment and yeah. all of that. That's like really, hopefully people are finding a lot more nourishment. I think in the so. day to day. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. It's an interesting time we're evolving through. I'm, I mean, as humans, as yes. creative people, um, I'm wondering like what your, what your sense of what the future is feeling like for, for witchcraft or for just creative magicians. I mean, you know, I, I have so much hope and optimism. I always have, I feel like there is good inside of everyone. And it really is about being open and compassionate and non-judgmental. I think in in the United States, we're going through this, you know, we, we had this sort of very sharp split that I feel needs to heal because um, everyone can have, we're in this beautiful democracy and everyone can have an opinion and it's about letting people talk through it. Maybe there's not an agreement, but at least there is the opportunity for people to feel what they're feeling. Because mm -hmm. um, I feel like if you shut down and block off and judge on either side of the spectrum, it just festers and it's never a good thing. Um, yeah. Like I said, I just did this festival. It was called Format. It was the first festival. It's the Live Nation, it was a sort of experimental festival for them. It was in Bentonville, Arkansas, which is where Walmart's based. And Walmart has this incredible art museum there that the, the matriarch of the Walton family started this museum called Crystal Bridges. And it's this incredible art museum. They have like a James Terrell sky space, a Louis Bourgeois spider. It's, and it's Whoa. in this little town in Arkansas, um, this beautiful small town, very diverse people from all over the world are working there. Um, great restaurants, uh, just just a really special kind of utopian community. Yeah. Whether, what, whatever you think about Walmart, this, this community that, that's in this town there, which is very much, you know, it is a company town for sure. There's, I think probably the reason this town is thriving the way it is, is because of the fact that they're centered there. Um, they offered this airstrip space and um, the Live Nation and C3, which is their subsidiary, curated this incredible art and music festival with um, really high profile fine art, people like Doug Aiken, um, Freeman Lowe, very art world, immersive art world people building mm -hmm. these experiences. And then Herbie Hancock and uh, Nile Rogers and the Flaming Lips and Karung Bin and all these incredible bands um, played. Wow. And it was a, probably about 25,000, 30,000 people um, from all over, but mostly from the South, from Oklahoma, mm -hmm. from Arkansas, ranging in age. Um, and, you know, we had a Library of Esoterica dome experience there and people responded so openly 
And there are a lot of really young people coming from like the University of Arkansas, which is in the neighboring town. And it was so edifying to kind of see, you know, the diversity, the fluidity of gender, the just acceptance and joy and the engagement that they had with the music and the art and and the the sort of openness and a lovingness everyone had for each other too. It was, yeah. it really was, uh, it really made me, and I saw so much, you know, young musicians, uh, just there was a few bands that had had only played a few shows that were had showcases earlier in the day that were just amazing. And, cool. you know, as a, you know, music journalist is my roots and to see a band on the cusp where you're like, this band is going to, be huge and you know to see the sort of all the art that's coming out of these past two years and to see these these young people who have gone from 18 to 22 or you know 20 to 22 you know who have evolved into adults during this time mm. and their mm -hmm. incredible openness I mean yeah. it was it was really beautiful it was really beautiful it gave me a lot a lot of hope and I was I was really blown away. There are people from, you know, all walks of life and everyone was just dancing and being kind and, you know, yeah. it was, it was, it, it was idyllic. It was, it was a really beautiful kind of utopian vision in the middle of, you know, what, you know, from I'm on in LA, you know, we're West coast, East coast, like you know, mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of bias towards the South and to see what's happening there um, and sort of all the creativity and community and the, the, the South has so much beautiful history of music. And, you know, I'm, I'm, my husband's from New Orleans and I go to New Orleans a lot. One of my favorite, favorite cities in the entire world, um, you know, so much soul and, so much history and and sort of to see that evolve to the next level is and to the now is really right beautiful yeah yeah well i'm hopeful for more spaces of that kind of collaboration yeah and <clears throat> sort of like all these medias that are coming together to inform mm -hmm. each other right now mm -hmm. i feel like that's really exciting and yeah the technology being used yeah. to to teach and to um entertain but also to kind of unify all of us you know totally yeah you said something that i kind of want to return to which is this idea of protecting your practice mm -hmm. which i think is really beautiful and i'm wondering if there's like a, a specific way that you do that in your life um because it sounds like a really beautiful form of protection magic mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know i try to do a one card pull every morning. I also do meditation. Um, I also journal. I also really try to be in my body. I, I swim and I hike and I do yoga. I really try to make sure I, I'm in my body once a day. Mm. And it's always hard, but, but that's really important is really like being in your body. Um, yeah. And when I wake up, the one card pull is such a, I just, I just ask the cards, 
you know, what should I focus on today? What should I be aware of? What should I be thinking about? Very general question. And as you know, with tarot, it's like anything you pull is going to resonate and be important. Um, and, and always is sort of weirdly, crazily <laughs> resonant with, with what's going on in your life because, right. um, and, uh, that's super helpful to kind of start the day with that ritual. It doesn't take long and just sort of being aware. And I usually kind of maybe write a little bit about the card and why it's relevant to today. And this is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm saying all this, but of course there's some days I wake up and I have to like run out the door <laughs> like some totally. days that I don't go for a hike or do yoga or do anything. And I'm like, you know, uh, but I, you know, and, and meditation is, is hugely, I, I do TM. I, I had, um, the privilege to do a book with David Lynch, um, about music and meditation and creativity in his films and in his work. And, um, it's called beyond the beyond. It was just, mm. it's, it was an incredible experience to work with him. And, you know, he's been doing TM since he was, you know, 20 before he even started making films. And he has his own sort of offshoot of TM, the David Lynch Foundation, and they offer free TM to, um, to soldiers, to vets, to inner city schools. Um, and they also offer like a super inexpensive program for anyone that's an artist. So you can cool. like, you know, they have centers here and in, in New York and you can sign up. And if you're an artist, it's it's an incredibly inexpensive. And because I worked with them, I basically traded, uh, traded doing TM with his foundation in exchange for editing the book. And um, I had done TM, I had trained in TM when I was um, living in Boston. I went to Emerson College and there was a TM program at Harvard that was free. It was someone that had just come back from India and um, I trained and I really liked it. Um, and they gave me a mantra and I did it for a while, then I kind of fell out of practice. And when I returned to it, I didn't tell the teachers that I had done it before. And I asked them, you know, how many mantras are that there? And they said, you know, it's this kind of, there's like three or four dozen and it's this aberritic, you know, it's based on your, you know, your, what you do, your birthday, kind of all these mm -hmm. things. Um, and they gave me the same mantra, which wow. was really blew my mind. I was definitely going to ask you if you they still using the same mantra. The same mantra that they had given me when I 20 years before. Wow. You know, that That's was the really mantra cool. that was chosen. And and you know, mantras are these kind of sound meditations. They're not words. They don't mean anything, but they're like these tonal things that you can connect to to find your center. And and when I am doing TM twice a day, I feel like I can shoot fire from my fingertips. Like I feel very <laughs> centered and powerful. Yeah. Doing TM twice a day happens very rarely <laughs> in my life. But well, you know. it's the return to the practice, like you said. I feel yes. like, you know, there's so much um strength in that moment when you pull out your yoga mat and yes. go back and yes. Um, and making that time, body. that's the protection, you know, making yeah. the time for those things 
not only for your creativity to manifest, you know, and, and actually being creative and doing your, your art or your writing or your dance practice or, you know, but also doing all the things that support that practice that are yours, you know, right. being in the body, the being in the mind, being centered, and also just experiencing life and being in the moment and going to see other people's art and going to museums and going to shows and going to, you know, and having conversations and being in, you know, circles of community together, all those things protect your creativity because they mm -hmm. feed it, you know, and, and if you're not engaging in the world, you know, there's a time to be the hermit and there's a time to be the empress, right? You know, right. So if you're not, you, you have to go inward, but that you also have to be you know, because there's just so much out there to be inspired by, you know. So. so true. My teacher always says that the best form of protection is inspiration. Yeah, absolutely. Which I think is is very true on some level. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I am so excited to see what comes next beyond plant magic. I'm yeah. I'm so excited. Is can we pre-order plant magic? At you this can. Point? I just went okay. up for pre-order this week. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, well, we'll make sure all the links are there for folks to check it out and order their copies. I know these sell out, so they, it is. They, they do. I hopefully they ordered more. I you know they the, uh, the boats. So all of Tashin's mm -hmm. books are printed in Europe, beautifully printed, and and they are you know all of these books are eventually in like seven languages. I think witchcraft is in all seven languages and just cool. Tashin has distribution around the world. So um, so the Europeans and the British and Irish get their books first. So I think that Plant Magic might be in stores probably in the next couple of weeks in like London and Paris. And, cool. uh, and then it's arriving by slow ship because they're very heavy and that's how books yes. are shipped and vinyl records. When I tell people that they're like, what? like everything's shipped by boat um but uh it it should be in stores probably in the next month or so i hope but in the meantime you can pre-order and i think that at this point in the game that tashin has actually printed more of them the first print run is more than it was for the last for witchcraft witchcraft we sold out of in pre-orders Amazing. So it's now in its third printing and it's only been 10 months. So, wow. Yeah. Congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything else on the horizon that you'd like to share? Well, I mean, you know, I am, I'm really excited about these immersive experiences that we're doing. I'm really excited. We'll be doing one at, at Austin City Limits in two weeks. Um, right. I, I won't be there, but but we have the program kind of developed now. Um, and then we also are doing one of our main research partners for these books is the Philosophical Research Society in Los Angeles, which is an incredible library and archive and experiential space that was built in the 1930s by Manly P. Hall, one of the great 20th century philosophers. Um, he is sort of our one of our muses for the books. Um, I, the last quote in our first seekers for the seekers man, manifesto at the end of each book is by him. 
um, we are doing a really special project with the archives that I can't announce yet, but it's going to be amazing. And it's with um, Tashin and it's um, bringing back to life one of it, Manley's magnum opus. Um, amazing. So that'll be coming out in uh, early next year. Yeah. So very excited for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. Thank you so much. This has been such a lovely conversation and thank I'm, you for having yeah. me. Oh, so looking forward to everything that comes next. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Take care. Bye.